And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a special guest. Is this your second or third time? This is your second it's, time, yes? It's my second, yes. It, yes, because this is like, I'm doing a whole uh, series of like second time club. So welcome back, Jonathan Chisholm. I think Thanks I for having me. Did I, I fuck up your last it. name? No, you said it perfectly. Ah, oh, thank God. <laughs> I got one thing right. Yeah, the last episode you were on, it was Aladdin, which yes, I'm sensing a theme here. Do you like Disney? <laughs> I do like Disney. You know, um, it's it's always been a big part of. I mean, that's how I got into musical theater when I was younger. It was watching the Disney Renaissance films. So I mean, that makes sense because I feel like that's a lot of like our generation's like musical movie tastes. Yeah. And then, you know, it evolved outside of that, but that's where, you know, you, you start finding, you know, musical, you know, oh, people are singing or the cartoons and things like that. And so, yeah, I do. I really do appreciate Disney. I understand that they're taking over the world, but mm, yes, but I do appreciate, but I also, you know, I can dislike that, but admire the, the business prowess. <laughs> well, we're talking about the Disney 2014 classic into the woods which is Disney taking over Stephen Sondheim? Sure, God rest, God rest his soul. Rest his soul. Uh, the screenplay is written by James Lapine. Music and lyrics by Sondheim. Bless. Directed by Rob Marshall, who does a lot if you really think about it. And I've covered a few of his movies, and it's very interesting. <laughs> uh, and then, according to IMDb, a witch tasks a childless baker and his wife with procuring magical items from classic fairy tales to reverse the curse put on their family tree. Have you actually ever seen a production of the stage version, by the way? I have. I, I've been in one. Um, for sh- I, I was definitely in one, and I've seen it several times, actually. It's, it's done a lot. So I've, I've seen this movie before. You know, like, Mm -hmm. especially when it first came out and everything. Yeah, I I saw it three times. I don't think I've ever seen a live version of it. I did see the, um, the Bernie production, the Bernadette Peters production, uh, because that's like the, the filmed one that they have out in the world. Right. But I don't know. Is the, is the show like as silly and goofy as this movie is in a way? Yes and no. I mean, the first, uh, the movie, uh, and I guess we can get into that. The movie uh, cuts a lot, not a lot, but it cuts a decent amount of the second act, which is a lot more dramatic and dark and has a lot more of the resonant themes. And they kind of just streamline that in the movie to make it, uh, probably their idea was to make it more appealing to general audiences. Because a lot of times with the stage show, uh, general audiences, not talking about theater people but general audiences tend to like the first act because it's fun and ridiculous and it's a farce and people are running around doing crazy things and then the second act it gets all real and people don't usually like that I've been told on numerous occasions by people who I wouldn't say I respect their opinion but they have opinions and uh and they um uh have always been like oh that first act was great but then the second act oh I just can't stand that second act well that's the whole point of the show I feel like where yes. the first act is, um, you know, the fairy tale characters, you know, and us, the audience are like, oh, little red. And mm-hmm. the baker and his wife are new characters, correct? Yes. Yes. They're, they're kind of based on like, um, they're loosely based, I think, on the Rapunzel story. Like, like the idea of the baker had a father and because the baker and Rapunzel are brother and sister. Uh, okay, like, yeah. So there is a loosely, but the idea of this like normal couple living in a fairy tale land is basically original. Yeah. I think James, I think James Lapine once said, it's like, they're like a typical New York Jewish couple living in the woods. Cause then, you know, act two comes around and it's to 
it's like a typical Sondheim show in a way where like, you know, it's happy go lucky. And then something happens where it strips away that uh, the rose tinted glasses to show you, no, this is like a really serious story and a very sure. sad one. And that was um, particularly in the 80s, which is when this show came out, between this and Sunday in the Park with George, that was something that they did a lot. They kind of had like, the first act was one thing, and then the second act became something else, and it made you rethink about the first act, kind of like, it made you reflect on the first act. I mean, not gonna lie, I do like the second half, or the second act of the the show and the movie of Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. I just feel like, though they didn't fully embrace a lot of things. Like they were like, oh, we're fairy tale and magic and all this, mm -hmm. but like realism. And I just went, why? Why is it yeah. so dark? Why is it this? Why is it that? Like uh, Meryl Streep has blue hair for fuck's sake. Like I don't, and and Cinderella is a low key a witch. Like, come on, May, go further. I feel like they had a good concept. They just didn't go with it yeah and um I remember when I saw it because I was very familiar with the the stage show when I went to see it and I like I said I saw the movie three times once by myself no, twice by myself and once with my family I think we went because it came out around Christmas so we went for Christmas I think yeah, that was like yeah, a thing. they were they were trying to draw in the that Christmas money hunty absolutely and I remember um thinking at the time was uh that there was a lot what, exactly what you're saying somewhat that it's like they really were going for like this is going to be the most commercially appealing way to tell this story you know mm -hmm. we don't we take you know rapunzel doesn't die uh you know the the the, the prince wait i i'm sorry i'm blanking the stage version she dies oh yeah she gets crushed by the giant yeah, because the movie only shows two deaths. Yeah. E yes. Three. Um, technically three, because the uh, the witch is just, we're not we, sure what happens. We don't her. know what happens to the witch. Yeah, she's cause she's kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. And that's like, true. Even she gets sucked into the earth. So I'm going to assume she died. <laughs> Something happened. We don't, you know, it, and it's deliberately left vague, even in the stage version, what happens to her. Uh, but in yeah, in the movie, Jack's mother definitely is killed, and then the baker's wife dies. She gets pushed. She she falls off the ledge, which I kind of, I kind of like that. With Jack's mother, it's very, it, it's a little subtle in a way. It's not like you know, she's attacked by a unicorn or 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 some fantastical thing. You know, it's sure. It's that she was pushed and hit part of her body hit a tree stump or something that like uh -huh. caused her to die. So it's not sure. it like this is a this is another instance where it's like in act two, the fantasy world like kind of crumbles and we're in this like depressing real world in a way. Sure. And and in the stage version, the um <clears throat> excuse me, the prince's steward hits her on the head with his like mallet that he carries around, like his little like like scepter thingy yeah and uh and that's and that's how she dies uh it's a it is it is done in a very stage way that you probably really couldn't do on stage and that she's like she's standing up she's like having this long this not long speech but a speech saying she's dying and all that sort of stuff which wouldn't make sense in a movie especially in a movie like this where they're kind of being a little more realistic with it right uh but uh i know a lot of people have have had issues with that over the years that they like the more definitely like they don't like it as much that it's so subtle about it but I remember when I saw it that I didn't I didn't mind it particularly you know I, I also should just state for the record that my my colors are I prefer the stage version like 10 times more than I prefer the movie but if oh. the movie were on I would watch it oh of course I mean like I feel like this was uh, a difficult time for musical movies where they were like ooh we have to justify the 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 singing somehow in a way and it's like sure don't just do it <laughs> well that's also something that rob marshall has done in you know in chicago that's you know and that's nine whole, yeah yeah that's the whole bit with those things so but i and oh uh, and then also you have to remember that this is a disney film so they're not gonna i think 
the hitting on the head with them with that prop would have been a little too much for Disney. Sure, and well, it's Live the same action. reason why. Disney sure, well, that's action. the same. It's the same reason that um, people believe that Rapunzel didn't die because Rapunzel's a Disney character. Oh, that's true. I didn't even um, think of that. Not this version of Rapunzel, but the character of Rapunzel exists in the Disney, you know, metaverse. Right. Uh, and so I, a lot of people suspect that that was the reason she wasn't killed, in addition to making it a little less, you know, a little more, quote, family friendly, all that sort of stuff. You know, oh, she yeah. just, she, she gets her happy ending, essentially. She gets to ride off with her prince, which in the stage version, the prince, the prince, the princes cheat on both of their spouses. Yeah, um, we with, see, we only see the, the Chris Pine prince cheat. Right, exactly. And in the stage version, they both do. So it's, it's you know, it, it's... Who does Rapunzel's prince cheat? I on, think but... he... Well, they both... It's funny. They both, they sing a reprise of their song, Agony, in the, in the second act, where they talk about... Because in Agony, they're talking about Cinderella and Rapunzel. And then in the reprise, in the second act, they're talking about Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, respectively. Oh, because yeah. uh, the Cinderella's Prince does have the moment in the stage version with the baker's wife. Yes, and, the, and that's kept in the movie because that's an integral plot, plot point. You kind of have to have that. Yeah, and it's like a whole like three songs <laughs> about right, right. that. Absol- absolutely. Um, so I, I remember that was a big thing because at the time that Sondheim was talking about like, in interviews were saying yeah some characters don't die that die in the stage version and you know you just but it's a movie and you just have to kind of accept that's how the movie is going to be but if I, remember, always- if I remember correctly though rapunzel just like disappears though like her and her prince run off and then they just disappear they don't they're not we don't really see them again at, at the end of the movie so no she, she could have could. died. Yeah. <laughs> she could have, but in the like I said in the stage version she's explicitly s- squished by the giant. Like it's a uh then the witch sing, the, the I think in the mo- in the movie the Meryl Streep just does a little um bit of like um what will become the song children will listen later but she is at that point it's children won't listen. Mm. Um and then uh in the in the stage version when when she's uh squished by the giant uh, it's a little more of an extended moment and gives the witch a little bit, gives the witch a little bit more of a clear motivation for the rest of the, for the rest of the film. Whereas people often critics say that <clears throat> since Rapunzel's not clearly dead in the movie, then kind of what, why is, why is Meryl Streep's witch so pissed off the rest of the film? Uh, which, you know, you, you could just say she's a witch sure but uh <laughs> well also the giant is threatening to destroy their is it a village is it a town well i don't know i i want to say village yeah unclear village. but let's say kingdom kingdom <laughs> thank you um the the and it's just because the the giant is also seeking revenge and it's just like well okay <laughs> yeah it so it's it a lot of the criticism is that for, that I've seen and that I had as well, but I understood was they kind of just, they cut a lot of the corner. They cut a lot of the fat, which is, you know, fat, a certain amount of fat is important in your diet. So it, and it's like, so I feel in a certain way, they cut a certain things that seem superfluous, but just add to the texture of the show. And, you know, they probably wanted it to be shorter too. The show, the movie only runs like two hours, whereas the, the, the like music half. Two and a half, maybe even close to three, depending on your production, yeah. So, uh, it, And this is a good segue to talk more about the show. It premiered on Broadway on November 5th, 1987, uh, closing in 1989. So two years, not that bad. And like I said- That's, a, that's, that's good for a Sondheim show. That's great. That's great for a new musical too. Because sure. like- um like yes this is based off of fairy tales and people will know the characters but like not in this way <laughs> like sure like we were just talking about the second act and everything and how it gets all fucked up and what happens too is that the characters intermingle in different ways where it's mm-hmm. like they would never cross in their story and even the baker's wife says sings that 
I'm in the wrong story. Um, And so I love the music of this because I love Sondheim. I think Mm -hmm. though, at least the movie, I can't speak on the show because I know it's a little different when you see a show, but the movie is just like silly and not like in a fun campy way. It's just like a, it's like a, I'm saying these words that are nonsense and wearing, you know, this costume and running. There's that moment where they're all running around in the woods and their stories are overlapping and they're like three feet away from each other. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> well, I think that also goes to a certain level of the difference between a stage show and a film. I mean, mm-hmm. a film film is by its nature just a more realistic art form in that we in that we will accept two people walking by each other on the stage and not noticing each other because they maybe not they might not actually be walking by each other they might be far away from each other but they're just all on the stage so we accept that whereas in a film you know two people walk by each other you're like well they're actually in the wood and they're walking next to each other why aren't they seeing each other it's just kind of the it's kind of and it's why um with this film you know it's it's a difficult line to walk and I don't think they did it always I think they did sometimes of being a film it's naturally going to be feel more realistic but being fairy tale characters there's also just this lot there is also a certain amount of it happens just because it happens Mm -hmm. you know like the like the witches you know like the certain things about the magic and the timelines and things like that, that just, you just have to be like, it's because, it's because it's supposed to happen. That's why it happens. It's a fairy tale. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I'm on the Wikipedia page for the, for the stage version. And apparently Felissa Rashad played the witch at some point. And I, I, I need to see this. (laughs) She does. She does the role on the Tonys actually, because Bernadette only did it for three months. Um, because she had a movie she was making. So she did it as kind of like a, they, she were, they had somebody else playing the role, um, Ellen Foley, who if, if you're a Meatloaf fan, she sang uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. That's, that's the female singer. Oh, um, yeah. And then there's also Betsy Jocelyn uh, and Nancy Dussault. Yes, lots of good, good women played the role. Uh, but yeah, Bernadette only did it for three months and then Felicia Rashad took over and therefore was the one on the Tonys when they performed on the Tonys. That's about, okay, I got to Google that. Yeah, she's pretty good. Um, okay, okay. I think I want to pull a Band-Aid off that we haven't talked about yet. The okay. Johnny Depp of it all in this movie. Sure, um, and, topical. And I, well, yes, uh, because at the at the time of us recording this, he's going through his uh, assault case trial with right. Amber Heard. Sure. Um, I'm. I was while I was watching the movie though. I was kind of wondering why didn't they have a CGI wolf or something? Like why is that, he human? Right. And that's, well, it goes back to, you know, they're making this movie so realistic, quote unquote, realistic. And then they do something that's very stage-like to have somebody, you know, just dressed vaguely as a wolf. You know, that's a very stage thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that performance would, that idea of a performance would work on a stage because we'd be like, oh yeah, he's got ears, he's got a tail, he's a wolf. Yeah, Sure. The, the zoot suit kills me though or I'm just like that's the wrong I mean everyone's in like this weird fantasy period garb and then Johnny Depp shows up in a fur zoot suit and I'm just like what happened right yeah absolutely and it's it, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't gel with the rest of the film if the rest of the film was kind of an- anachronistic and everyone was in kind of different styles of clothing and there wasn't like a clear theme that would be fine I think yeah, we would buy that it would work more than just him showing up with a wiry, crooked mustache and um, the top hat with ears and a tail and a zoot suit. I'm just right. I'm I over also, it. <laughs> no, I don't disagree with that. I don't think the performance works in the movie. I don't think inherently the performance is bad. I think he's doing what they hired him to do. Oh no, I'm not questioning him. Because I feel yeah. like he, like, I agree with you. He showed up. He did his job. Um, 
I actually do like him in the Sweetie Todd movie. So like, oh, I do too. I think he's very good. That's one of his better performances in re- in the, like the last fifteen years. So like, I get why they cast him, but like, why is he a real person? Why not just like- right? No, that and that was a common critique at the time too. I it, even I thought they. I mean, with the with the budget they have, they could have just done a CGI wolf. But then you wouldn't see Johnny Depp, and that was probably part of the appeal of you know they could put Johnny Depp on the poster because he's in the film. You know what I mean? This movie has so many people in it. It does. There's <laughs> too many names in it, I feel like. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're all doing their job. They're all great at their jobs. Um, like fucking Chris Pine and I forget his name, the Rapunzel's... Uh, Billy Magnuson. Billy Magnuson. They sure shit showed up and they were like, at least Chris Pine is like going against his type in a way where he um, he's making fun of the fact that he's a pretty boy which I don't think I've ever seen him do that in any of his movies. So Right. And he has a decent singing voice. And he has a decent... Uh-huh. And then we have, you know, Meryl, who is basically in every movie musical to date. Um, Her and James Corden, it's a requirement. It's a... Yeah. And, like, James Corden, I also didn't mind him. Like, I know he's a little... This is his best, this is his best movie musical, this performance, because he's the best, he's the best cast in this, because if you were to put it, because he does the, he has, he comes from the theater, and if he were to do Into the Woods on stage, that's the role he would play, that or like, you know, one of the character parts. Right. I mean, in later musical movies that he's in, it's like, are you sure you wanted him? But like, this one was perfect. Yeah, I, I think it was fine. I, I have no issue. I also, I'm also, my hot take is I don't get all the James Corden hate personally, but that's just me. Like, but I'm also just a nice person who's like, he's just doing his thing. Leave him alone. Oh, I, I mean, well, I hated him in the prom, but that, that's for other reasons. It's not, it's for choices he made, not because it was him. Right. Um, but yeah, I liked, I liked him. I liked him and him and his relationship with, um, Oh, uh, crap. I can't, I'm so bad at names today. Emily Blunt. <laughs> yes, thank you. I like their relationship. I liked how he worked she, off of Anna Kendrick. Like, Emily Blunt is really good in this movie. Like, like yes. She's, she's really, and she's, do, she's doing a really great job at playing a role that is the, the, besides the witch, it's the other iconic role in the, film, in the, in the show, because that's the role that won the Tony, was The Baker's Wife. Oh, interesting. Um, so she's playing it in such a way that she's giving a completely original performance while tipping hats to the original actress back in the day. You can see she clearly understood what her job was. Um, I want to get Joanna Gleason. Yes, Joanna Gleason, who's wonderful. Who's wonderful in the original? She's the she's in the burn the burn the filmed version with Bernie. With Bernie. Yeah, which every time we say Bernie, I keep thinking Bernie Sanders, and I get very confused for a second. That's fine. Yeah, uh, which just makes me start thinking Bernie Sanders as the witch. That'd be weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're welcome for that image. Anyway, I oh think she's very good in the movie. I think she's, I mean, I think she was, she's very good in the movie. She has a lovely little singing voice. And I agree, her and James Corden have very nice chemistry. Mm-hmm. And little Gavroche and... Um... I know, he's still so little then. <laughs> like every. <sighs> I feel like, like I said, they, they could have done more. They could have pushed it a little further. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Turn a light on. Like. Yeah, it was, it was a little, it was a little dark too. It was, it was dark too soon. Like if they became that way, like in the second half, that would be different, but it, yeah. Yes. I, I definitely don't disagree with that. I do like Anna Kendrick a lot. You, you mentioned her. I do really like her a lot as well. She's well cast in this, I think. Welcome back to the podcast, Anna Kendrick. <laughs> sure, and, sure, sure. And James Corden and uh, uh, Meryl and I probably everyone and Rob Marshall. They're, I'm probably forgetting some people, but that's okay. What, uh, what else was I going to ask you about this? I honestly, so for the listener, I was just telling Jonathan before we started recording, um, I wrote out all questions and notes and everything on my little outline here and then my computer decided to not play nice and I had to restart it before I saved it all. So now we're just flying. <laughs> um, I think it's going very well. So. <laughs> I mean, so 
there are 20 songs in this movie, which it sounds, and you said that they cut out a lot. Was there one that you were like, why did you cut this song out? Yeah, um, there's a song near the end of the show that's supposed to be sung between the baker and the mysterious man who is not a, not in the movie. That is not a, that character, which is the baker's, I mean, he's kind of in the movie for like two seconds. He's the baker's mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the stage show, he's kind of throughout the show. And then they have like this really pretty song at the end, which is when the baker, when he finds out that his wife is dead, he goes, you know, he says, oh, I'm going to leave my child. And, you know, I can't do this anymore. And which he does in the movie. But in, uh, and then he kind of just kind of has a moment alone in the movie. And then he goes back. Where in the stage show, him and his, the ghost of his father sing this beautiful song about, you know, if you, if you, if you do what you're doing, you're just going to end up, you're just being, you're just repeating the mistakes of your father, essentially. You, you need to break the cycle and, you know, be, be a father for this child. Uh, so it's, it's one, it, and I'm also partial to it because I played the mysterious man. <laughs> So it's, it's, uh, so it's a song that I, I, I have a little connection to, but I also think it's a really pretty song. So, and it's just, it's one of the few, they didn't cut a, lo- a full amount of songs. They kind of trimmed things, and, but that's one they completely just cut. Did you miss it? Did you want it in the movie? Um, yeah, I would have preferred it because I think it would have given, I think James Corden does the best he can in justifying it, but I think that song really helps to to get the baker from wanting to basically abandon his child to wanting to be a better father like it it connects that bridge a little more whereas in the movie James Corden kind of just has to like go and cry in the woods for like 2 minutes um which you know is valid in Emotions that moment are valid, yes <laughs> yes but it's it, i just think it it works a little bit better in in the stage version but i also I also get it if they cut they cut the character of the baker's father except for like some small little you know bits and bobs in the movie so to have this character that doesn't exist sing a song would make no sense mm. make it a solo then <laughs> right i know yeah it, there's there's there are probably ways they could have done it but i so i miss that one a lot that's one that i miss a lot so um i was reading that the mysterious man who turns out to be uh, the baker's dad also is the narrator mm-hmm. but in this version it's the baker that's narrating the story to his newborn child um and what we are watching essentially is the story that he's saying to this child. right so with that in mind <laughs> follow me on this train do you think the story that the baker is saying, he took some liberties to introduce magical elements to it. And what we're watching is a lie. <laughs> you know, I've never um, thought of it that way because um, I, I always just think about why isn't there a narrator? <laughs> because that's where my brain goes with the, with the movie. But I mean, that's a, I mean, that would be, if you're just taking the movie as a singular entity, not taking anything into account, that's a valid, like, you know, like you're like a kid, like a father embellishing a story for a child. Sure. It's yeah, a little it's, big, it's a little big fish. Honestly. Yeah. I was about, I was about to say, it's like the fish story where it's like I caught a fish and it was so big. And then you keep enlarging the size of it with your hands and you're like, exactly. And you're like, okay, so is this real? Is this, I mean, I don't care either way. I was just wondering if that was their theory. No, I, I think it's, I mean, uh, I know, I know a lot of people don't like the fact that the Baker is narrating it because it then makes it be like, well, clearly the Baker's going to survive if he's narrating the story. Uh, but, um, and then there's, but then there's, and then it's also the purists of, well, we want the narrator and like a narrator, like an actual person standing around narrating again, would not make sense in the way they made this movie. It would not make sense to have a man in a suit walking around a la Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone just narrating this movie like he does in the stage version. You know? And, and Again, then pops in to play the mysterious man. And you're like... Right. Oh. It, that's a very theatrical device. And it wouldn't work in a more realistic movie, which is what they were making. You know? It's a little upsetting. 
No, I don't disagree. I think they should have probably leaned a little, as we've said, it, we keep circling back to it. I think they should have leaned more into the fantastical of it because that's what the, um, the, the piece is. You know, it is ultimately, it is, a, it is a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale for adults that, right. can appeal to, that can appeal to children, but it is ultimately a fairy tale. And you, if you're making a fairy tale, you have to just accept the fact that certain things are going to happen. This is uh this is a weird movie i feel like we're both like on the fence about it where it's like we like it but we don't but we do yeah there's a lot of there's a lot in it that i admire i I mean i like i I, you know we a lot of it is the performances i think a lot of the performances are very good in the movie i think they are you know they are making they are making up for the fact that certain parts of the because certain things just don't make sense anymore because of the tone that the movie has like they Mm -hmm. are as actors i think meryl streep is a great example of that i think meryl streep i mean which that's a hot take i know meryl streep's a good actress but um (laughs) but i will also say that meryl streep off you know is also a an actress who often will go with what her director is giving her so you know you know if if the director wants a certain thing that's what she's that's why she's a good actress she does what the director wants to a certain degree and i think in in this movie, she toes that line very well of being playing it very realistically, but also leaning into kind of the 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 inherent farcicalness of the material. Plus, you can tell she's having so much fun. She's clearly having a very good time. Yes. Like like this one and Mamma Mia. Like I I, yeah. I she's I I think she really just wants to be in musicals. <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, she started on the stage back in the day. I mean, she went to Yale Drama School. So um, right, and- yeah, and and you know, it it's interesting that like her career, it's all these serious and Oscar nominated roles and everything, and like she does a project like this or Mamma Mia, where it's like you could tell this is where her heart really wants to be in. Sure, um, and I mean, and she even I mean, I know this. I'm not telling tales out of school. I mean, she auditioned back in the day to be like the original Ava Perone in the Broadway version of Gypsy. Like she, back when she was still, I mean, she Evita. was, she, Evita, yeah. Evita, yeah. It was funny. I, I, it's funny that you accidentally said Gypsy because I was just like, I can now see her playing Mama Rose in a Yeah, movie she might version. be a little too old for Mama Rose at this point, but. Um, Who cares? But she, I mean, I. That was my problem with her in the prom is I'm just like, why she's so much obviously older than James Gordon. It bothers me. But again, she's having so much fun that you're like, okay. She does. She is having a very good time. I'm also, I'm also completely impartial with that, with the prom because I'm friends with Beth level. So, well, uh, so it's like, I can't be impartial with that performance anyway. Uh, I think you're right though. She is having a really good time with this movie. And she, I mean, she gives a very good performance. Like, I mean, it's not, not just like, oh, it's Meryl Streep. So of course it's good. She actually is giving a good performance. Right. Cause you know, she's for half the movie, she's wearing she, uh, all this makeup and she's supposed to be like a crone and everything. And so she's having, mm-hmm. you could tell she's having fun on that end. And then when she transforms into the glamazon that she is, you're just sure. like, you're like, okay, here's the death becomes her moment where. Right. I do wish that just because of how her age that she was at when she made this movie, they had made her look even like older as the old crone, just so like there was a little bit more of a contrast because she was clearly playing her age as the witch when she transformed. Uh, And, you know, and it's, it's a hard comparison because that you had Bernadette at like the height of her powers when she did it originally, you know, so you really had that dramatic transformation of like this old thing. And then Bernadette takes it all off and she's Bernadette Peters. You know, fabulous Bernadette Peters. Um, sure. It is. Did you think any of the songs in this movie version were clunkers? Um, let me think. Because, like, not seeing the stage show, but uh, like looking at the list, um, I did see that the wolf turns into Cinderella's or one of the princes. So yeah. part of me was just like, why do we have Hello Little Girl if Johnny Depp is only going to be in this one scene? And then I like, you know, I forgot that he was comes back later, but he's still just a, it's such a such a minuscule part that I was just like, as much as I no. appreciate his performance, do we need the wolf? 
you need the wolf. Does the wolf need to have a song if he's not doubling as the prince? That's a valid question. Absolutely. Mm. You do need the wolf because otherwise little Riding Hood story makes no sense. But like, um, if we cut, hello. You need the scene. You don't need the song. You could have a scene and not the song. Yeah, because I feel like if we cut Hello, Little Girl, but then we still have, um, what is what is it? I Know Things Now. Is that the song where she sings about? Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, if we have that. Also, that was another instance where I was just like, okay, you're going very stylized with this song. Mm-hmm. Where is this, the rest of the movie? That's- right. That, I remember it even at the time when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is a very distinctive choice that you're not making at any other time in the movie yeah um even with the other songs that are in that same vein of a song like giants in the sky or although i will say on the steps of the palace which is cinderella's song that's a very distinct choice i liked what they did where it's like this is clearly a in the stage version it seems like a soliloquy where cinderella's Mm -hmm. just talking to the audience and Um, it's after the fact like she she's already gotten she's left the ball where this is like she's literally in the moment leaving the ball and she's on the steps of the palace. I, I thought that was clever. No, I really did. I did appreciate that too. It's, I feel like this is one of the hard ones to turn into a movie unless you have like a great concept that you're going to follow through with every song, every scene, every character, all right. every decision made. And well, I, that's probably, sorry. I was going to say, pro- I, I don't think this version succeeded in that, in that respect. Who knows if they're going to remake it, remake the movie? into a different version maybe they'll Uh, succeed more possibly i mean i know the movie was in development hell for a you know since the musical came out in the 80s i mean with various casts that vary from you know people like robin williams as the baker to like Cher as the witch oh my god uh Oh my God, I'll, I would watch any of those combinations. I don't disagree, uh, but um, it's, it's so, it, it, was, it was constantly being, not constantly, but over like, you know, the 30 years or so that's it, been around, it's been being like trying them, because it's an obvious, because it's based on fairy tales, it's an obvious thing that's easily palpable to the mainstream audiences, because we all know these stories. Yeah. Um, so it, of all of Sondheim's shows to make into, a, into, I would say this one makes more sense first than Sweeney Todd. And I love the movie of Sweeney Todd. I think it's very well done. But in, if, if I were like a producer, I would be like, let's do the fairy tales before we do the barber who kills people. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to Sharp and Flat? No, let's do it. Great. Sharp. In this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. What are your sharps? Well, I think, and we've said a little bit of this, but I just want to sharp the entire cast. I think they all do their job and they do it very, they do it well. Um, even if we, if you disagree, I disagree with certain choices. I think they all are doing what they were hired to do. And they're mm-hmm. doing it and they're, and they're not phoning it in. They're really, they are going for it, which I appreciate. In no. particular, sorry. Oh, you go ahead. I'll, uh... in, per- in particular, if I had to sharp one in particular, I would agree that the agony number between Chris Pine and Billy Magnuson is a, is a big highlight. They, they really go for it completely. And I appreciate that. Like that was a, that was a day or a couple of days, however long that sh- the, the uh they shot that scene you could tell they are having so much fun i like, agree i mean and, and like uh, i would say that as well about a lot of other care- actors like they are having so much fun in this movie and it's a little upsetting that it's not as great as it probably would have been if it was them in the stage version i was gonna say we haven't even mentioned christine baranski Oh my God. Yes. And I sharped her because Christine Baranski will always like be a sharp. (laughs) Christine Baranski is the definition of an actress who understands every assignment that she's in. Like she, she knows what movie she's in or TV show or anything like that. She always gets it. And she's like, I know what I'm doing. We're doing, you might not like the movie. She's kind of like the female Michael Caine. I know what movie I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna get my paycheck and that's it yeah and I'm gonna do a good job 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. She does a fantastic job. Um, and also, uh, what was I going to? What was I going to say? Oh, I was like, uh, I was thinking though that like, um, all of the actors in this movie, like, can sing. Even yes. even like Chris Pine, who we don't know as a singer, carried his carried agony as well as as well as he was supposed to. Yeah. And so that I really appreciated that that they like put an emphasis on singing rather than acting. Um, I will agree. I will agree with that. And any like, you know, post, you know, studio fixes weren't super like noticeable. It was it seemed very like maybe yes. they went slightly flat and they just like upped it a little bit, you know. So it it didn't ever seem like you know, there wasn't like a whole like a lot of like auto-tuning in the aftermath. Cuz there's always auto-tuning in studio singing. There just is. But oh, if it's yeah. not note if it's not noticeable, then you know that you have people who are actually singing. Uh, I also sharped uh, Agony, because, come on. Yeah, that song it's, is a amazing. Big, it's a big highlight. It absolutely is. But, like, also the harmony, like, the, I mean, I know it's written this way, but the, the harmonies in No One Is Alone is also, like, chef's kiss gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. That's an example of a song that is... Um, is very good in the movie, but could be better had they not cut some of it. It's longer. It's longer in the stage version. Um, mm. But it's good in the movie. And I get mm. why they cut it, because by that point, it's the, and it, it's the same problem in the stage version. By that point in the stage version, people are like, come on, we're like, it's the end of the show. Let's get, let's move along. But it's also, it is pretty. Yeah. But it's, it, and it's full of the, the Sondheim, you know, harmonies that I just love. No, um, I, I agree. My last, my last sharp is uh, Jack's sweater. I will. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. Very, it. It's very cozy. Well, because you know, I, I, I do knit, and I keep trying to figure out how they did it. Because I don't. I, I want. I want it. <laughs> no, I don't disagree with that. On, in, in terms of we're talking about clothes, I really like. Um, I will sharp. Uh, uh, the witch's transformation blue dress. I really like that. I think it's very, it's a unique look for the witch post-transformation that I really liked. I also, I'm, I'm not, it's not sharp worthy, but I just do want to give an honorable mention to the fact that like uh, they use blue for her. You know, it's not black. It's not like other stereotypical witchy colors. She's in blues and it's like, oh, I wonder if- I Yeah, wonder, it's very, yeah. I wonder if Colleen Atwood was inspired by Last Midnight and like the blue tones of the night sky for her. Maybe. Who knows? Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get her on the podcast and we'll ask. Colleen Atwood, this is an open invitation for you to come on and talk about your choices. <laughs> because as my major flat for this movie is the zoot suit. <laughs> or the, well, well, the fact also that like he's not a a wolf an animated wolf i would i think I, say, it's le- I feel like it's less it's less the zoot suit than just the concept of him not being a wolf yes i think uh you said it too like they, we're doing the movie version of it so like let's do some movie things not theatrical right. things so especially because like, so much of the rest of the film they're doing realistically you know it's one of those things where the tone doesn't make sense necessarily. Right. So like have a have a wolf. I mean it will look stupid and silly, but like, hello, giants. Uh like look right. at look at what we're talking about. Um also, this is like a light flat. I don't like Cinderella's dress, personally. Okay, uh, yeah. I I could see that. Um yeah. Yes. I it, I've always found in because they're going with the grim version of Cinderella and her dress is gold, like specifically gold, like it is in that fairy tale. It's specified to be gold. I found that dresses for Cinderella in in the, in Into the Woods that can be some are beautiful and then some are just okay. Right. I get. You know, I get. It, I get though that they were going for like an innocent approach where she's not gaudy or um mm-hmm. the too excessive and everything so they're going with like a pared down i just feel like there was something 
off about it that I don't know what it is. Maybe it's also hair. Like the fact that it's basically a ponytail. Sure. That's fair. No, I don't disagree with that. Um, My only, my big, my only major um, flat for the film is I, I do think that um, no, no more missing is a big thing for the, the, the arc of the Baker for the end of the film. Um, which I talked about earlier and, mm-hmm. and for in great length. Uh, but um, I think that's my only like major like complaint about the film. Other than the other major one is I, it's something we t- we've talked about throughout this whole thing is just the tonal inconsistency of the film. Mm, like yes. it, it, yes. it's, it's, it is shot very realistically, but then it just veers wildly into fantastical, which I wouldn't mind if everything was that. I you know also- what I mean? I also Pick a lane. I also love the fact that they hired the woman who was the giant in Harry Potter. Um, yeah, um, Francis de la Tour. Yeah, I, I was just like, and she's not that tall, really. Like she's she's not. And they always cast her as a giant. I'm just like, okay, I guess she has a niche market now. <laughs> right. I know. And it's such a, for, for such a, like, basically, you know, mostly a voice role too. It's, you know, you see her a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was weird that they like covered her face in the trees. Like show her face. I get it that you were trying to see their, the, the, uh, fairy tale characters perspective because they are of human height, not of giant height, but like, again, it's a movie. Yeah, and I think that's the big, the biggest, like you know, flat of the film is that it's. I just think tonally, it doesn't. It's trying to, it's trying to be a movie, but then also be a stage show in certain instances. And it just, you have to, if you're, you have to pick a lane. Mm-hmm. You just, you have to pick a lane. And I think when the film, remember, when the film is, the film is at its best when it is leaning into either of those things. When it is leaning into being a film, it's really good. And then at the times where it does do a little fantastical, it is also great. The problem is they have to coexist in the same film. And they don't. Not particularly, no. But as I said, I mean, there are, I've seen a lot worse movie musicals than this. Oh, I, I, I wish we could like, if this was a visual platform, I would enter here all of the fails of Into the Woods because those like compilations on YouTube are amazing, especially when it's like Milky White just falls and he's not supposed to. Sure. Or Milky White loses a leg. Or, it's all the Milky White fails, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Because that's an easy thing to fuck up on stage. Because it's usually a prop. I feel like every once in a while, I feel like every once in a while, especially when it's like the kid production, you have children playing Milky White and that's even funny. Right. That is really funny. I do also, because I also was on the Wikipedia Wikipedia page on my iPad here for this movie. And I appreciate that the Wikipedia article credits the cow who played Milky White. (laughs) In the movie? Their name is, yeah, the name is Molly. Oh, Molly did great. Uh, Molly was uh, uh, I'm sure I'm just guessing maybe rest in peace, but you know, uh, it's been a while. I don't know how long cows, I don't know how long cows live. She was a delicious burger. Uh, I went there. You're you're welcome for that setup. Uh, Um, is, would you add any of these songs from this, from the movie to your life's playlist? No, only because no, only because there are better, there are versions that I like better of these songs from like stage productions, which if I'm going to listen to Into the Woods, I'm going to listen to one of those. I have this song, these, this entire cast, this entire soundtrack rather on my, um, on my, on my, on my phone. And I do listen to it occasionally, but it's not my go-to of Into the Woods. That's fair. Um, I think I would have Agony uh, on the steps of the palace uh and then from your fault to the end like those are from this from the movie i think those are those are the ones that i would listen that i would probably listen to the most out of the whole i can i can i can definitely get behind those choices like last midnight 
I love every version of it that's out because like, you know, Bernadette Peters did it. She's amazing. Uh, the Vanessa Williams version, it sounds a little more flat and a little more like, um, uh, not morbid, like a little more creepy and everything. Sure. And then Meryl is just being Meryl and having the, a blast. And, you know, again, she did her job. She did. Yeah. I think Last Midnight is like the song of the show. It's a good song. It definitely, and it, if you have a really great witch, it can be a great, like, no, it's a great, it's a great exit song for that character. Um, and on that note, we are done talking about Into the Woods. Huzzah. Ooh. We did Ooh. it. We finally <laughs> did it. Jonathan, do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Um, not I, I mean, I'm doing some shows um, up in um, Massachusetts in June and July. So I don't, I'm not sure when this episode's coming out, but. Um, uh, and, Mid-May. Okay, well, perfect. That'll work great. Uh, so in June and July, I'm doing um, Mamma Mia and Something Rotten up in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Stop, you're doing Mamma Mia. <laughs> My Dude. second time doing Mamma Mia, yeah. I didn't mean to bring it up so many times this episode. I'm so sorry. It's okay, no. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm actually very excited about it. Um, I, I, I enjoy being, I enjoy doing Mamma Mia. The prospect of doing it is difficult, but being in it is fun. Um, and, uh, but other than that, I'm just, you know, making my way through the Upper West Side of New York. <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with the podcast and talk about Into the Woods, um, do you have any answers to questions that we asked? Uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. Uh, who is your favorite witch? Who do you want to play the witch in a remake movie of this? I don't know. I'm, I like to ask a lot of questions at the end for listeners to see if they'll engage. <laughs> uh, and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're taking a very different pathway uh we're talking about the porn version of alice in wonderland from 1976 yes a porn musical version of alice in wonderland oi we hit we hit we hit we, we talk about porn now <laughs> oh, so it's come to this has it both literally and figuratively it's come to this <laughs> it's so stupid <laughs> oh my god well jonathan thank you for coming back on uh you are now part of the two timers club so um expect your Woo-hoo! pin in the mail or something i don't know i should take a pin <laughs> that, would be funny. Uh, that would be hilarious and of course you'll be coming back i don't know when i don't know what we'll talk about but it's an open invitation uh and yeah Bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.